Welcome back to the AEC Disruptors Podcast, your platform to help push the AEC industry forward. I'm your host, Christopher Riddell, and joining me today is my co-host, Jackson Sensat. Hey, man, how's it going? It's going good. With the uh, ice falling and, you know, the temperatures starting to warm and, you know, all the animals coming out of hibernation, so too does the AEC Disruptors Podcast. You're right. We're back for another season. Uh, this guest is uh, Ed Newton. He's the president and executive in charge at Newton Group. Uh, they're a full turnkey AEC company focused on prefab sustainability. They're out of Canada. You know, it was really interesting to hear of all the things they were focused on. They have a lot of in-house, uh, all disciplines really. And they're talking about moving into the factory. What'd you think of the talk? I thought it was amazing. I, you know, it was really informative. Um, in the past, we've talked about um, similar companies that uh, just threw money at something like this and it didn't work out. They just didn't do it the right way. Um, the way Ed did it, um, it, you know, by starting off small and growing uh, his company uh, to what it is now, um, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be a model for um, maybe some companies in the U.S. Um, moving forward. And also his background uh, farming in New Zealand. It was cool to hear how that influences him still to this day. Yeah, it was interesting as he talked about um, more of an organic growth instead of trying to grow too fast. And he thinks that's why they've been successful so far. But it was a good talk. So I hope you get to listen to it, enjoy, and check back for more. Joining us today on this episode of the AEC Disruptors is Ed Newton, president at Newton Group. How's it going, Ed? Very good. Thank you, Christopher. All good. We're excited to have you. Um, you know, we always like to start these conversations a little bit of getting some background uh, in our guest. And so could you kind of tell us a little bit about you know, who are you? You know, who is Newton Group? What really what are you all trying to trying to achieve, kind of your big mission? Yeah, I'm uh yeah, I'm Edwin Newton. Ed Newton, they call me. Um, and uh, I'm the owner, founder, and president of Newton Group. And Newton Group is part of the Kiwi Newton Group, which is a sort of a little group of construction companies, really. And uh, this company began in 94. And, you know, we've sort of evolved now into uh, what I'd call like an original building manufacturer, which is sort of a design builder, really, with manufacturing capabilities. And uh, yeah, our mission really is just, uh, well, my mission and, and the company mission is really growing, growing a steady business, you know, a, a company that sort of would be worth buying, say, when I'm gone, um, for one thing, uh, producing uh, better buildings for our clients, uh, addressing some of the uh, things around labor shortages, you know, all of those sort of things are sort of organic in, in uh, our, our sort of movement towards building in the plant you know we're sort of pushing in that direction organically to to increase our efficiency and bringing the work into the factory and so our, our mission really is to sort of perfect that more as time goes along here continuous improvements and uh, delivering a better building that would be cost effective more cost effective capital costs and more cost effective for the running cost of the building and have environmental benefits as well like given the lower energy usages that it'll have and 
and lower maintenance costs. So, you know, trying to address all of those things about buildings. So pretty busy. So you mentioned um, you kind of more or less a design builder. So I guess in, in your company, you all have brought in all the different disciplines uh, in-house? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so the, um, most of them anyway, uh, to, to make us sort of cost effectively to to do what we do, we've sort of seen the need to bring that more in-house, those, those electricians, uh, some mechanical team members, uh, then people that do sort of structural work like welding and fabricating and uh, concrete workers. Uh, so yeah, it's, a, it's very much a vertically integrated team uh, with, a, with a bit more of a narrow focus, I guess, on the type of building we build. And so we're focusing on our system buildings that we can efficiently deliver with our, with our setup, you know. So what kind of sort of building project typology do you all specialize in? Uh, main one, uh, there's several, but uh, one of the bigger ones is parking garages. We specialize in those. Um, that was a sort of a market that looks like it needed fulfilling. Um, we sort of tend to go after the, the markets that are, that are sort of unfulfilled or where there's a shortage coming up, say, in the future. And parking being one of them, you know, when you look over the pond at, at Europe and see a lot of their challenges and, you know, densification of land and things like that. And, you know, even here we had the same thing beginning you know, back in the early 2000s, around even around the GTA, when they put in things like um, green belts and stuff like that. So, you know, you can just see the writings on the wall where we have to be more efficient about land use. So I thought that the parking building and this idea, the system of ours being such a, an efficient one would probably do all right in the marketplace. And, you know, it's not a big selling building, but it's a, it's a, it's a niche market and, and, and it's a great solution for the the parking issues and it's a growing market for us and then the other one is a uh, uh, the kiwi condo system which is actually a a product uh, uh, that we came up with a building system design and essentially it's a uh, made of uh, concrete panels of floor panels wall panels shafts uh, all the bones of the building and uh, but we can take it many steps further with the uh, with the integration of the mechanical, electrical, uh, which there's a lot more of that on that type of building, say, as opposed to a parking garage. Um, however, we, we're able to integrate on both of those buildings. We integrate the M&E things, M&E being mechanical, electrical, you know, integrating them in the plan, into the design, and then trying to, you know, carry more with our parts. Each, each piece carries more than, say, just a piece of concrete. It has a few other things to go with it, like the electrical, like if it had mechanical in it, or it might have insulation and architectural things on it. So, so again, trying to uh, keep the work uh, as much as possible on the production line, and then keeping it small enough uh, in pieces that we can deliver it down the road to the site. And so that system is, is another one, that, that the Kiwi condo, and it's good for any building, like a commercial building or a or a residential, multi-residential building where the owner would want a, a long-lasting concrete building. Um, and having all these other attributes with energy and, and you know, savings around carbon and such like that are going to come down the pipe, uh, it's going to be an attractive building for, 
for for the demand that's out there for the clients, especially the long-term keepers, the ones that want the building to last and cost less. And then other products we offer is like, uh, you know, say pedestrian bridges are quite common and they're quite often associated with the garage or the office building or the connection between two buildings, you know. So mm -hmm. those type of applications we've been, you know, applying the bridge to. Okay. And, and also the uh, industrial, which is sort of a little up and down, you know, but we serve those clients as well. And that's kind of our main focus, really. So, um, you know, I come from the construction side and in the U.S., you know, um, we've had companies that have tried to pop up and say they're the turnkey solution. They have architects, engineers on staff, as well as, you know, general contractor and everything below that, the subcontractors and things like that. And it hasn't worked here. Um, and I think part of the reason, um, you know, Chris and I recorded an episode on this company, and you might be able to guess who it was who tried to do it and uh, failed miserably recently. Um, <laughs> I did hear of a company. It's probably the same one. They, they had a lot of money, I think. You're yes. putting it nicely there. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So, um, you know, they tried to do everything too quickly um, and that resulted in them failing. In the U.S., um, the construction sector has really fallen behind others um, in terms of efficiency. And with, you know, margins being so low here, it's really hurt the bottom line for us. And then you also include the labor shortage here. It's made it almost impossible to build a building um, on time and in budget. And now we have, you know, supply shortages as well. So all yeah. of that combined is making it very difficult to um, make money on buildings. Um, so here, you know, what we're trying to learn and we're behind is from manufacturing. Um, Chris and I actually did an episode with the Forging Manufacturing podcast. Shout out to them. Um, we'll see, see if they listen, if they uh, <laughs> ask me about this. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we kind of, you know, came to the conclusion that construction really needs to learn from manufacturing and adopt an assembly line approach, which can be difficult because, you know, general contractors and subcontractors don't control the design. And right. I feel like when you control the design, you're able to look, you know, towards the nuts and bolts and, yeah. you know, be a lot more efficient. Yeah, that's literally where the rubber hits the road. You know, I mean, if you can't control the design, you're not going to be successful at manufacturing buildings in a factory, right? Um, because, you know, you've got to design around your systems, around your logistics, you know, the, the road logistics, the uh, logistics of your uh, plant equipment. And your site equipment, right? And you know, we all we, we know there's various sizes of equipment. You know, man and money can just about move anything or do anything. But uh, you know, when you're trying to be economic, you know, you've got to be careful about those things to keep it more sort of mainstream in, in that regard in the logistics side. And so, you know, you make those decisions when you build your plant, right? You got to make those decisions up front about you know what sort of size of part you're going to have as a maximum, and then that sets the size of your cranes and and things like that and um yeah it's definitely not easy and that's why so many companies wouldn't have done it you know um and we've sort of i guess being a a startup company that that you know we were 
back in 94. And then I just feel like we've sort of reinvented ourselves probably two or three times in the last 25 years. And, um, but that's sort of what you got to do. And, and, but I'm still the founder as well. And, and, you know, with some smart people around, you know, that maybe one guy perhaps from Germany that has been a huge influence on us. And so helping to learn from those other people has been very helpful and seeing, you know, how they do it. Right. Did you start out? Well, I guess one, and on the chance people can't tell, do you want to tell us where you're, where you're at or where you're from? Yeah, actually I'm originally, uh, yeah, I came off a farm actually uh, from New Zealand. Uh, So my first 21 years of my life um, was pretty much in a farming environment. Uh, But I went to school, of course, and did all the educational things. And uh, on the weekends and holidays and every time and it wasn't school, even after school, I was sort of involved in helping my father or my brothers on the farm. And we were always assigned, you know, work. And then by the time you got to an age of, say, 12, you'd be driving the bulldozer and the the tractor, even the tractor at a younger age. And so, yeah, we were sort of given tasks to do all through our holidays and free time. And then... That kind of gives you a lot of that background experience. And then, you know, I left school and I went farming for five more years. Um, But all of that was sort of helpful in a way just to sort of give me, I guess, the the natural part of things to to sort of understand more about the environment and what it it does. Um, and, And also getting a good background in civil work and machinery, which... Once I became a carpenter, you know, I was dealing with hammers and nails and carpentry tools, not so much heavy machinery. So, you know, that became my apprenticeship for my my business now as it's moved forward, where we sort of have a mixture of rigging and heavy machinery and plant equipment and things like that. So I think, it, you know, one way or the other, it laid a good foundation for me to, to bring the company this far anyway, and hopefully a lot further. And now we're adding, you know, I found myself, you know, looking for people that had education because I never had beyond my high school education. So, uh, you know, I have that practical experience and especially from being a carpenter for years, you know, that gave me the good practical building experience I needed. And then moving on to being a, a GC or, you know, organizing the sub trades and, you know, just getting those buildings built. Um, I was very comfortable doing all of that. And then as we transition though into this new stuff, this new sort of where we more heavily into design and build, and it's a design of our own, right? So we're when we use the consulting firms, we 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 have to meet with them and make sure they want to adopt our design, you know, before they become part of our team, say for that project, you know. And so as I've been embarking more on that area, as the company's grown into that area, we've sort of had a big need for engineers and people with uh, professional degrees. And I found that very refreshing having those guys around me because now, you know, I can just go down the hall and or just pick up my phone and I can get help straight away from an engineer, you know, and get an answer without having a big to do about it, you know. And and so I think I can just see it's helping us more and more over time. And that was part of my goal too, was um, to be able to sort of improve, right? And, you know, with the old traditional way and what Jackson, you were just referring to, like what's going on in the US and Canada is very similar that way, and actually we're building in the U.S. right now, and it, and it's it's very expensive and very the demands are high and the labor is short, but uh, you know that type of building, 
up here when I was doing the GC work and all that, it was hard to have any money left to, to sort of do any R&D or any, you know, any of those things. So, you know, we tend to take on more overhead in the manufacturing and, and but, uh, it, you know, you sort of somehow you might better carve out some margin so you can put some money back into your business, you know, and, and have your own systems studied and designed, right, which is sort of what we've been doing now for quite a few years. And so it, it's, a, it's a big commitment, you know, and, and but doing it organically, I think, might be better, actually, than, you know, if you because if you just go at it like, like people have, like you mentioned, um, you know, with a lot of money, and just go at it. Um, yeah, it's just because it's not organic, and and maybe the guys running it haven't quite got the concept. Like you know, you have to be economic through and through from the beginning, right? So, you know, if your business is not making money, it won't, probably won't make money the following year either. You know, even though you've got a new machine, you know. <laughs> so you have to sort of kind of work your business and your 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 people to the point where they're all being efficient enough to turn a profit you know as you grow you know and that's what i've tried to do we've had our ups and downs and um but you know there's been more ups than downs so you know it keeps me going so the aec disruptors podcast is brought to you by applied software with solutions for the modern project applied software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and champion innovation with real world expert consultants their comprehensive array of solutions for the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. It definitely seems like some companies do grow uh, too fast. Whereas you have made some, or your company's made some very logical uh, transitions and ev evolutions over time. And so now it seems like you're in this next phase of evolving into the, the factory a little bit, right? And so you mentioned, I believe, but you all own a couple factories, is that correct? Or um, how do you, how are you moving to the factory for manufacturing purposes? Yeah, so what we did there uh, about 10, 12, 13 years ago, we bought some land, uh, uh, in, in the town where our office was and then I in Guelph here and I um, set up office here on this new land and gave up our rented office and uh, we had seven and a half acres that we bought it's industrial land and then uh, it had a building on it so we started operating you know just with some steel and, and and actually bridge components out of the building out of the factory side of it and then the office we were utilizing for our administration and for running the projects and then we you know, I said I had a plan, you know, to go ahead and build my first plant. So we built the first plant in 2009. And then uh, uh, recently in 2020, we built the second plant now. So which is on the same land. So we're kind of we're still chiseling away at the same land, but we're just increasing our production on the same land. So even it becomes a study in production and what you can do with with less, you know. So mm -hmm. that, that was part of our mission, actually, was to do more with less even back in 2004 and five, you know, when we started thinking about it and uh, you know, it's some of it's hammering home true, you know, it really is. And, and so we're getting, you know, we even have parking issues here on our site now on our seven and a half acre site. So, you know, we've got ideas to put a parking garage here one day too. So I wonder know, who could build it. Yeah. <laughs> and then we don't have to move. Right? Are you accepting bids? <laughs> 
uh, was there, so was there a catalyst that sort of pushed you in the direction of building those uh, factories? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was because um, I wanted to build a better business really. And, and I was sort of, I think, you know, around the mid 2000s, I got to a crossroads where I, I was just like, I think I'd reached a threshold in my GC business where either I had to sort of find partners to try to grow the top line and hopefully the bottom line stayed stayed intact a bit or you know look for some other way and and maybe reinvest in my business um but at the time i thought well because i was dabbling in in uh in uh, development stuff you know and that it became sort of oil and water with the construction company you know the bonding companies don't like that when you're when you're taking on different risks you know and, mm -hmm. and you have to have bonds too to complete construction projects so you know they they kind of had me pointed more in the direction of construction because that was the thing I really liked the most. The main, the main thing was with developing was to give work to the construction company. So I, I was taking on developments to get construction work. And so I sort of, rather than sort of chase around trying to buy parcels of land to get the next development going, I started thinking about buying my parcel and, and then putting a factory on it and where I could invest in, in, in our land to grow the business and and, and then it had to become like, okay, what, what am I going to do? But also I had the idea about what I was going to do as well, which was sort of embarking on the parking. At the time I had a job, uh, a contract to build a quite a big parking garage uh, underground. And I remember asking, you know, why are we doing it like we were doing it? And the answer I got from the engineer was, because it was design build, but I just sort of paid them to do it. And they did it their way with the design. And I asked a few questions and they said, well, that's the way we always do it. So I hate that answer. I thought, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> didn't answer very much. And then I happened to be walking around over in Germany one day and I am um, doing some other work for a client, uh, getting a factory built. And that's where I came across uh, another idea for parking. And I started delving into it. And, uh, you know, we ended up adopting a system actually that was started over there. So and we brought it to Canada and it took a lot of work to, to get it sold, to sell it even one and to try to convince people that it was a good idea and to get the approvals, right? That, that was a major to try to get all that done, but we managed to do it in the end. So what's the, like the value prop you, that you, uh, you tell people of why this system works and, and how does it work? Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess the, you mean how's the value created or just, just in general, you know, if, if we're trying a different way, you know, you know people don't like to change and people right. don't like to do things differently and, and where you're approaching it from a different perspective, you know, how do you get, how do you get people to buy into that vision of how to, how to do it differently? Yeah. Well, it's a, it has a tough sell. Um, the main thing is once you have something done already, then, you know, they see it. And then, so having the first one built made it easier to get the second one. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the beginning, it was very awkward, very tough to, to sell. Uh, and, um, but I mean, the convincing really comes down to the price. Um, you know, that's always the, the almighty cost. Um, so the capital cost that, you know, in the end, they're going to compare you with another garage builder or another GC that's coming with their price to build the garage. So they're going to compare us and, 
you know, we're going to tell them we're going to be less and then they're going to wait until we actually bid on it and they'll, they might see it for themselves. And then, and then we have to convince them of the technical issues, right? Which is usually sitting down with their consultants and quite often, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny and stuff that we have to come up with to try to convince them, right? About, because there's differences, you know, there's a lot of different things about the building that aren't the same as normal. So what I like about your, uh, business models, it seems like there's a lot less room for conflict. Um, you know, I would run into a lot of situations in the field where we have our duct up in the air and here comes the electrician late. Cause you know, that's just the way they roll. And they're like, Hey, we have nowhere to run our, uh, conduit. And it's just instant conflict right there. And then you run to the GC and, you know, they sort it out, you know, meanwhile, the project's pretty much at on halt, at least in that area. And for you, it's like, you know, you have all these different parts working in song. It's like the 2012, 2013 San Antonio Spurs, the way they played basketball. And it was like very um, harmonious and it was just like automatic. Um, so, you know, coming from the world of conflict every day, and, you know, having to deal with contracts and possible lawyers and everything like that. It seems like you really avoid that. And your main, you know, point of contact really is the owner. And then you handle everything else under the sun. Yeah, that's actually, you put it right on the head there, Jackson, I reckon. Um, and that's uh, a lot of the things that I disliked about when I became a GC. Like it was good, great for a start, really great, you know, exciting, getting these buildings up. But exactly that, that that sort of confrontational stuff started, especially when we entered the general tender market with the design, bid and build, you know, where the owners hired the architect and everyone's bidding on the same drawing. And, you know, because it's just such a low down price situation and, and, you know, everyone's cutting margins to get the work. And then, and then you get these situations where you have, you know, electricians not knowing the GC or not knowing who they're playing with on the same job, you know, and then, and they get to that job. And if it's something that they maybe haven't done a lot of, cause it's a prototype. Um, yeah. Where do we run the conduits? Right. And then these sort of things happen. And then the next thing that happens is that there'd be a, a bill or a change order request or something, right. Because of that, or, you know, it can, can result in that. And also the other, you know, so the, then we end up dealing with these, these money problems, and uh, having to fight those off or, you know, deny them or try to get them if they're legit. And, you know, it, it's also the, the trouble is sometimes you have a contract and, the, and maybe the subcontractor goes bankrupt, you know, and it might not because of, be because of your job at hand. It could be another one that's affecting them where perhaps they weren't paid properly or things like that. So, yeah, a lot of times on that type of uh, bidding market, you don't get a good chance to sort of pick your team and align with the team and all that. And and you end up sort of being more of a lawyer and a risk taker than, than a builder, say. You know, for, for me, that was a big deal as I really enjoy, um, you know, building. I used to love carpentry because I could do a whole lot of work in a day and then at the end of the day, look, look at it and go, well, that's today, you know, look what, look what we achieved, you know, look what I did, you know, and so there was very tangible and rewarding, and uh, even getting into a GC to see what the teams did, say, on, on your sites, and that is rewarding, 
but then the further you get removed from that, you know, you start to wonder well, why you're doing it, which is sort of what happened to me in 2004 or five. I started looking for a new ways, right? And just, just trying to find a new way. So what you say is uh, maybe the biggest challenge of having a, a vert vertically integrated firm that kind of handles it all. Well, yeah, it's a, yeah. I mean, it's challenging because uh, yeah, because especially I think in the earlier years when, you know, if you don't have a lot of work, uh, you've got to somehow pay all these people, right? So you've got to be very, very careful when you bring them on and, you know, how that gets brought into place. Uh, just making sure that you sort of can see your light of day ahead of you, that you can keep the keep them busy because the last thing you want is to try to get it started and then you have to shut it off again or something like that. So, um, yeah, so I guess it's the, it's the potential overheads that you can end up with if you're, the overhead costs if you're not sort of careful. Um, so that's why it kind of, with us, it's been happening fairly slowly, not, not sort of at rocket speed. We sort of, um, we, our, our turnover, I guess, as overall did not increase that much in the last sort of, well, I guess in the last few years it probably has, but for, for the first, say, five or 10 years as we embarked into this, our top line didn't really go up, but our bottom line was getting better. And, but our overhead also gets better too. But at least yep. we have we have some money to cover that then, right? And then, you know, you start sort of looking to the future and say, well, if I can, I've got more overhead, but I've got more capability. And if I can just sort of amp up that cost sale, that sale, you know, and keep my margins the same, then, then you know, there's success in the, in the making and developing um, systems that you can apply to your buildings and all that sort of thing, putting more thought into the beginning end of it rather than waiting for working on site. And, you know, so the savings start to roll, you know, but it, it, it's very hard to start it off, that's for sure. Um, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit because, you know, when we first talked a little bit, we touched on this idea of sustainability. And when we look at your website, there it's very obvious that this is something you're very passionate about. You know, um, you know I'd be curious, one, you know, just to even get us started is, what is it your company is doing to help promote sustainability? Um, and is it kind of one of your, your core missions that you all are trying to adopt? Yeah, yes, it's definitely a core mission uh, in our buildings that we're adopting. Um, that even came to my mind, like in the late 90s, I was sort of determined to go in that direction. Um, and more and more so as time goes on. And actually, um, for main reason, actually, well, apart from being, you know, having an affinity about the environment and understanding that, you know, we've got to have clean air, clean water, and you know, all these things, it's true. You know, we we have to we have to go at it in a balanced way. But there's just no doubt we have to conserve on energy. We have to conserve on all of these things, you know, and reduce mm -hmm. carbon and reduce pollution and you know, reduce the footprint uh, and increase productivity. So. Um, and for really, it's, it was more of a, uh, I think it's sort of an economic thing as well, you see, because if you look long term, right, I mean, that's what that'll be the winner, you know, because we have to, we have to become more efficient and use less energy. So I, th I thought of it more as a, as a sort of a, a place, if you start early enough, you end up in the right place down the road when the world's ready for you, kind of thing. 
you know, and when we first talked, obviously, I, I didn't know anything about the, the farming experience, but it makes a lot of sense that you would be passionate about sustainability when that is sort of your foundational element. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, seeing, you know, when you're farming, you don't have any money. So you tend to be able to solve problems, you know, creatively, uh, perhaps without all the fancy bells and whistles, right? Like drainage or different things you can do and ways to do things and, um, you know, I think that sort of helped, you know, maybe it's the creativity side that all those solutions that had to be found in my younger years kind of helped us now where we're always trying to find solutions, you know, but we always think about the owner's pocket, you know, like when we're, when we start talking to an owner, I mean, you know, there's very few of them that don't care about the cost. And then our job is to sort of make sure that they, they get what they want um and keeping that cost in check right so we're always got an eye for the scope you know the scope of work and how do we reduce that say you know and that's the advantage with the design build is where you can try to eke out the owner's requirement and and reduce the cost and i think a lot of that would be helped from my earlier years of where you know money wasn't very plentiful right and you know so you're trying to deal with slim pickings so what i've seen mostly it's uh you know a lot of solar um, have any of your clients approached you about any other, um, you know, methods, um, to like power the building or something like rainwater collection? Um, and also are there any emerging materials in construction that interest you? It's like eight questions. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> first run. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, just, Recently, I had an owner interested in solar on a building. Like we actually, every time we offer the owner a building now, whether it's a garage or a condo, we always offer solar and try to offer geothermal and encourage those kinds of things. And uh, a lot of the time though, there's sort of not a lot of traction, but I'm feeling it more now. Like the, you know, the owners are interested. And I think especially the ones that maybe, you know, say if it's like a, a REIT, you know, these investment outfits that you know parking money and 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 rental buildings where they want long-term you know may may not be high returns but long-term reasonable returns without having a lot of maintenance costs they're also looking at you know having a better footprint lower carbon footprint lower energy use which is lowering their maintenance costs so yeah they're starting to be interested in the in the energy generation even just on the on the payback side because there is some there there you know based on some of the paybacks they expect, I think that there's economics behind even solar at current grid rates, you know, on a new build, you know, and things like that. And the geothermal is really the answer too. Uh, if, you get, if, you, if you play it forward long enough, it is. And even in the shorter term, if they can get a little bit of help from the government on the grid, you know, to, to put the geothermal grid in the ground. So um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that part's just going to grow and grow, um, you know, that sort of delivery with some energy capability within the building. And uh, what was the other question, um, Jackson? Um, if there are any emerging materials oh, yes. um, that you're interested in. Yeah, actually, there are. Um, but, yeah, definitely. Um, like carbon and concrete is one for sure. That is, uh, And it's already emerged and it's being used actually by you know, companies that make concrete blocks and certain small modular concrete products. Uh, I know they've been using carbon to uh, cure the concrete, the carbon dioxide. 
So that's a very good one because, you know, you're kind of turning the clock back somewhat on the uh, carbon embodiment of the concrete. So the carbon embodiment of the concrete is mostly through the cement and the, the heat process related to making that cement. So when you put that carbon dioxide back in during the curing process, um, it you know kind of reverses that to some degree. And I'm still trying to find exactly what uh, degree that is. And it probably depends on our process quite a bit, but I think it's pretty significant. And also um, I've heard that you can also put it in the mixer as well with the liquid concrete. So we're gonna look at that as well. So um, fairly soon, actually, I'm pushing for that you know, to, to drop that uh, embodied carbon, you know, so we're looking at, you know, we, we're just beginning on that really to look at the embodied carbon. We know it's a thing, you know, it's like, you know, we talk about saving fuel or energy with, with buildings and cars, but you also have to think about, the, you know, what was involved in getting it to that point to, to build it. So that's the embodied carbon. And um, so we're looking at that. And, and so that one's a good one. And also I've heard that some other great insulation products as well. There's different you know, insulation products that can also change their phase as well, um, phase change materials. Although we haven't sort of successfully implemented any of those. I know, you know, there's some universities, you know, working with those sort of things and there's been trials done on, you know, materials that would say insulate and then maybe not insulate or, you know, think of wax, you know, it gets warm enough, it goes liquid and, and, and then when it's cold enough, it goes hard. So that's really a phase change material so we actually had an episode um last season with uh, a guy that talked about how they use hemp for uh, insulation within mainly residential uh it hasn't really gained popularity in other areas but it is interesting to look at how people are looking at um different materials and how they can be used for different applications and it kind of really goes to what you know, originally said is you know that this is how we've always done it and now we're challenging that yeah um, so it'd be interesting to see how that type of stuff um, makes it into what you do that and even things like we've talked to people who do 3d printing and how that can help on the the build side you know are those any things that you've started to kind of peer at and think about how it may be implemented yeah yeah well actually that's a, that 3d printing is another good one you know we've actually thought about that and i've been told about that and you know even just for to help us sometimes making molds and things you know if it's a special form a special shape you know you know, you can sort of quickly see how it would probably save you money on, on custom things like that. And, you know, that's already got its uses, you know, 3D printing, like in the automotive industry or in the machinery industry, where they're printing, say, one-off parts or ones that are out of production now, where no one has a production line anymore to do it, you know. So, and also with these new technologies, you know, maybe today it's no good, but tomorrow it is, you know. And so you got to mm -hmm. keep looking for these things and, and, so, yeah, I, I, I've always got my eye and ears out for these things. And we quickly, um, I sort of do back of the napkin sort of payback or analysis on cost. So I always want to know, first thing I want to know is how much does it cost, you know? And sometimes those answers aren't readily available, especially if it's still in the university or somewhere where it's getting tested or, you know, still created, you know? But uh, there's definitely a lot of opportunities with different materials coming, I think. Do you see us, I mean... Maybe this is a loaded question, but obviously we keep talking about cost and we hear that all the time that sustainability is expensive. Um, do you see us getting to a point, maybe even just with your group of uh, clients and customers where cost is no longer the driving force, but maybe a secondary? Or do you think it's always going to be a driving force? And if so, 
what is it we need to be able to prove to them in order to be able to um, put out more sustainable products and sustainable uh, workflows? Yeah, yeah, no, that's an interesting question. And, and you know, I'm finding, um, you know, that's, that is still the norm, you know, where they're very focused on cost, the customer. Uh, but also it depends on who the customer is. Say, for example, if we were selling, say, a condo building to a REIT versus, you know, like a real estate investment trust versus, say, someone who's just going to develop it and sell the units. So, so that developer is only mostly interested in the, capital cost, not so caring about the long-term maintenance cost or the operating costs or the energy use even, right? So they probably won't give me a penny more for going over the code for insulation and for going over the code on say a window type, you know, because that's not going to pay them back any money mm -hmm. uh, in their minds, you know, they, you know, and they might not be operating with a conscience, say, of, of the environment or anything else, or not worried about that poorly homeowner that's going to have to buy that unit. So, you know, then, but then if the client is a REIT, and I'm starting to find that discussion happening more, where they, I say to them, okay, well, I'd like to offer you this building, and you probably want the lowest cost, but will you entertain some other options, you know, that will cost you more money, and we'll show you how it pays you back over time, you know. So that mm -hmm. comes down to the maintenance, you know, so, okay, how much is it to maintain that building and how much is it to run it for energy use and that sort of thing, right? So energy use and, and maintenance costs added together, those are big numbers for, for you know, companies. And if they can cut those down, that, that gives them more money to put into the capital side of it. I did want to ask about a particular project. Um, this is a great time for you to brag. You won the 2020 Most Distinguished Project Award for Humber College. Uh, I was wondering if you had any that. comment on that. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was a yeah, that was a great project. Um, Humber College is a as a thousand car parking garage that we won uh, was something back in late 2016, I think. Or, I think we got it in early 2017. Started working on that contract. And designed the building, and and from you know it was just sort of a, a a parking lot when we started, and then we turned it into this thousand car garage building, and uh, yeah, I think what was really unique about that it was unique in a few ways. One, it had sort of a, a retail and office component, which we managed to put that on the side of the building without actually changing the classification of the building. So that's always important to keep the cost down if we can keep the the basic garage building class intact as per the code and manage to then integrate to some degree this this other class of building being the office and the and the retail aspects and so we had them on there and that gave it a nice look and then um, the the college also was interested in solar and uh, I think they managed to get a bit of help through the grant programs the government was offering and they put on, they had us put on a very big solar system on the building, uh, photovoltaic. It was 700 kilowatt DC. And uh, I think it was AC 600 kilowatts output. Um, and the garage itself was very energy efficient. That was part of the mandate from the owner. They wanted a very energy efficient building. They were after, you know, low energy use, low maintenance. And 
So I think that's why we won it because we came in with the right price and then managed to check all those other boxes around the environmental sustainability things they were after. And uh, the energy use of that building being like a thousand cars and 300,000 square feet was only like 30 kilowatts when everything's sort of humming. So that's wow. not a lot for a big, huge building, you know, like 15 to 30 kilowatts, you know, when it's all humming. And so all of that power we were producing actually went into their grid system, into the college grid. And uh, we set them up with a net metering program with the local power distribution company, uh, Toronto Hydro. I don't think Toronto Hydro would ever see any of that power because it would just go right into the campus and it would just reduce the amount of power they're taking in off the grid, you know, by like 600 kilowatts when the sun's shining. And uh, the, the building across the road, there was a brand new building across the road being built at the same time by a, a different construction company. And very nice building, beautiful looking uh, classroom building at Humber College, very well designed. And uh, they that one became a net zero building. And I think it's, I'm sure it's because of the garage because they tied it together with the garage. So the two of them together became net zero. And so the garage really is the power station. And, uh, and uh, we even put panels on the walls as well. They became part of the facade treatment on a couple of the walls. Uh, the ones that weren't so prominent, but still visible from certain areas. And then the other two walls, which were more prominent, had a beautiful uh, aluminum, modern-looking facade. So it looks very 21st century, you know, so very different. This is the coolest parking garage I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I saw. I was looking at the website earlier. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, was, I, I wasn't I was even sure it was a parking garage. They look fantastic. So well done. It looks like board. Apple's office or something. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, and they feel good too. You know, they, they look good and they look, uh, they're a departure from, you know, one's vision of what a parking garage normally looked like. And when you're inside them, they feel good. You know, they, they really do because they're open and there's no uh, columns to hide behind or anything, right? So it's, there's, there's little steel columns, but they're not big enough to hide a person. So you can see right across the building. It's pretty good for surveillance. You know, we're kind of um, kind of wrapping up, but it made me think of one thing. So we'll see if we can get uh, the quick answer. But something I didn't think to ask is as you're designing these parking garages and you're looking to do it differently than we've done before, are you all thinking about what happens if that parking garage no longer becomes a parking garage in its life cycle? Are you thinking about how it can be retrofitted into a, a office building or is that something that's on y'all's radar? Yes, it is. Actually, we've been asked that a few times now, and um, there's definitely ways we can do that to convert it later. Um, however, if the owner, it would be, it, it's, it is better if the owner says it up front, because sometimes on a parking garage, you design, you know, fairly low floor to floor levels, like say 2200, which is like, say, the clearance is only, um, an, an imperial would be like, uh, you know, seven feet. <laughs> yeah, we, we need Imperial, Ed. What is the Imperial? <laughs> so for you Imperial guys, seven feet, um, which is a little low for a building, right? So, yeah. you know, but some of our garages do have a good eight foot clear plus, right? So mm -hmm. uh, as long as they have that, uh, it's convertible. You know, you can literally, we can do some things to it and make it into a, a building later. So there's it definitely can have a second life. And also it can be moved uh, somewhat like, and we do have another system that we can actually move if needed. Oh, so, wow. 
that's another thing. It'll be for another episode. Yeah. Well, we really, we really appreciate you joining us. I, I, it's been incredibly informative and it's interesting to just kind of hear your journey uh, in your own career, but uh, thanks for joining. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, really fun talking to you guys. So, Absolutely. Thanks for your time, Ed. Thanks for listening to the AEC Disruptors podcast. Enjoy this episode. Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The AEC Disruptors is directed by Christopher Riddell, produced by Todd Wyant, edited by Eric Daniel, and co-hosted by Jackson Sensat. The AEC Disruptors is an applied software production, copyright applied software 2022.